Hey guys, how we doing? It's Duart here with Hit the Apex Podcast. Welcome back after the mid-season break. I hope everyone's been keeping well, enjoyed the break from racing or from Formula 1 if you were keeping up to date with all the other things that were going on. There was Le Mans, Formula E, MotoGP as well. Um, I know I'm a little late. <laughs> we had the Belgian Grand Prix on the weekend, but um, you know, it was it was a lot to I guess to talk about, which is why, you know, we're here doing this today and then also Dutch Grand Prix we're looking forward to this weekend um with another triple header. Calendar news as well with, with F one deciding we're gonna have twenty two races this year. We'll go over that a bit later. Um but yeah, hope everyone's been keeping well, you know. It's it's spring. It's spring if you're on this side of the world now. It's a lovely spring day outside. Um, still in the midst of a, a lockdown. I think the same lockdown when, when the mid-season break started. Um, or just just before. Or you, I don't know. Last time I recorded, I'm pretty sure it was in the lockdown. It feels like it's um, just ongoing and, and, and forever. <laughs> anyway, I won't bore you with, with that sort of stuff. But yeah, Belgium, Spa. One of the great weekends normally <laughs> always always exciting not so much this time a uh, bit of a farcical non-race i gotta say um there with laps under the safety car pretty much determining the classification so max verstappen declared the winner you know even though there was no racing from george russell and and lewis hamilton and, and half points were awarded so let's wind things back to let's say qualifying so we knew that the weekend would be diabolical in terms of weather. It was going to be a wet weekend. Um, qualifying was interesting. We had some uh, weird things happen. We had some horrible things happen as well. Uh, Lando Norris um, crashing there at the top of Radion, Eau Rouge, uh, and unfortunately out for the rest of Q3. You had Sebastian Vettel yelling... Uh, on his team radio saying, what did I tell you? I told you you should have red flagged it. Um, at the start of Q3, it was a bit too bad, the conditions. And then you had George Russell put in one of the most surprising performances um, of his career. And I guess, you know, the the hype is all justified and everything. Uh, if people didn't believe it before, they believe it now. But, you know, he qualified a Williams on the front row, qualified second, which, you know, later led to the podium as a result of how the race was finished. So as far as the championship was concerned, you know, Red Bull kind of had the upper hand throughout the weekend, <coughs> thought that they had, you know, better race pace and everything and in qualifying in the wet, they were definitely a lot quicker than Hamilton and the Mercedes, not to mention Valtteri Bottas was kind of absent and ended up, um, what do you call it, <laughs> nowhere, ended up having his uh, grid penalty as well from, from Hungary, like Lance Stroll did, but come the race, so it started pouring, you know, and perhaps the rain was not as bad as, you know, other weekends for sure, but just given the unique microclimate that we have at, at Spa-Francorchamps, um, it led to a unique situation where the rain and the mist kind of just hung around in the air and, and visibility was so poor. So the race, you know, at the normal 3, 3, 3 o'clock start time or 11 p.m. here, whatever, uh, started, but under the safety car, they did a few laps before they decided to red flag it, come back into the pits. Um, 
And that's pretty much where it all started to go wrong, you know, where we're like, okay, the conditions are not improving, so let's start to look into what the the limitations are here, you know. We know that after the Canadian Grand Prix in 2011 that the FIA and F1 introduced a time limit in which races need to be run, so races can go no longer than two hours within, I thought it was a four-hour window which is now three hours um so obviously yeah we had three hours to to get a race in um you know it led to the point as well where whilst that clock is supposed to be running race director Michael Massey actually suspended it on the grounds of force majeure so that's you know being something totally out of their hands that has forced them to to do that to to kind of defy a regulation um, that is written for instances like this, just so that they could get a race in, but also there was just lots of confusion about, you know, the amount of laps that had been completed, um, the time limit as well, you could hear during the broadcast the commentators saying one thing, you had uh, team radio between there was Jonathan Wheatley, the Red Bull sporting director, and Michael Massey, and then Rod Meadows from Mercedes, who's in a similar role to Wheatley, um, with with Massey as well, trying to trying to interpret the rules, and that's where a lot of the criticism has come for Massey over the weekend. You know, for unclear communications, because as far as you know, from a fan perspective, um, we were in the dark, but also the teams knew no better than the fans did, you know, like you would have seen, I'm sure everyone would have been scrambling all over social media to, to get any updates from the track, and also um, the live timing was absolutely useless, it gave no information as well as to how many laps had been completed, which again is the same information that the teams would have been getting at the time, so, you know, the unclear communication, but also the interpretation of the rules as well. Um, you had an instance where Sergio Perez crashed on the reconnaissance lap, um, which is normally the outlap to the grid before the race, um, and it was said on the radio at the time that uh, they're going to take him out, you know, they, they can't repair the damage, but then when the delay came, Red Bull thought, oh yeah, well, let's try um, repair the damage and get him back into the race, which, you know, when they were talking to, to Massey, he said, you know, that's... Uh, you know, he, he didn't know whether it was um, it was it was a rule or not. You know, he came out with a flat no first, and then said, you know, we'll look into it, and then came back to Red Bull and said, yeah, well, you know, nothing says that you can't. So go ahead if you can repair the car, um, he can race, albeit you know from from the pit lane or from the back of the grid, which you know got a lot of people riled up. Mercedes, no doubt, <laughs> as well because. You know, on one hand, they've said one thing, and then on the other hand, they're saying another thing. So, from all this, basically, it's it was an unprecedented situation, which I'm sure, you know, and we've seen statements from Jean Todd and from Formula One and everything uh, in the postscript saying, you know, we're going to work towards, you know, coming up with a solution, you know, set a future, um, set a future framework and get some new rules in place. You know, and it's not until things like this happen that, you know, you kind of find the loopholes and, you know, the, the grey areas in the rules. So, you know, from that perspective, I'm not too upset. You know, I'm, you know, annoyed that 
we didn't get a race. I'm annoyed for the fans who were trackside in those horrible conditions to not have seen anything other than three laps running the safety car, which, you know, F1 insisted at the time that was not commercially motivated, even though the rules are that, you know, if you run two laps, two racing laps, regardless of whether they're under the safety car or uh, at racing speed, that is, you know, half points classification. It has to be 75% of the race done to be able to get your full points. So anywhere between two laps and that 75%, you get half points. So some instances like that, you know, in the past, we've seen more recently, I guess, Malaysia, the 09 Grand Prix, we had 31 out of 56 laps run for half points. And then now, not the shortest Grand Prix ever in history. That's been eclipsed by what we saw at Spa this weekend um, was Adelaide in 91, um, where there was only 14 out of the 80 lap. 81 laps run that day so you know half points awarded in those instances half points awarded you know this time round just per for three laps under the safety car and fair for to say that it wasn't commercially motivated I mean <clears throat> what was the what was the other motivation I mean fans don't want to see you know cars going around at um, a snail's pace behind a safety car I'm sure that's not what they paid their hard-earned cashieroonies for um, you know, it's, it's, it's all a bit of bull, I think, um, they had some, you know, commercial obligations to fulfill, you know, contracts and whatnot with broadcasters to, to be able to make sure they got paid and everything, and, you know, Lewis Hamilton again, you know, with the whole cash is king, money talks mantra, uh, came out after the race and was pretty critical of that respect, you know, and says that, or hopes that spectators refunded or given partial refund for for what had happened and I know that that's the case you know if you go to the cricket or if you guys um, have ever been to a cricket game which has been washed out or you know you only see uh, partial overs played or whatever you do get you know either full refund if a whole day is is washed out or partial refund or like you you get admitted to the next day for free or something or gold coin donation or whatever that they do here so um you know, it's, that's how they deal with it, I'm sure F1 can come up with something as well to compensate the people there on the day, um, but yeah, basically, that's where, I guess, the frustration lies, is that, you know, one person is saying one thing, the other person is saying another, the, the, the unclear nature of the communications as well, the interpretation of the rules, at the end of the day, I feel that the race itself should have just been cancelled and no points put out, you know, because points are going to have uh, ramifications in the championship, which, you know, I'm sure if, <laughs> you know, Lewis and, and Toto Wolf as well would um, be, would have been hoping that there was no points awarded for the race, you know, or if there was a race that they actually got to race and passing was allowed and everything, which would have given them a chance to, to move up and possibly challenge for the win. That's all said in hindsight, but the fact is that they did hand out points, and I feel as well that they shouldn't have, not because of, you know, Hamilton or whatever in the championship, but just the fact that, you know, it seems so unfair in that instance that, you know, that's um, that's the result. Uh, things that perhaps, you know, in the championship that's going to, you know, have been impacted by this is that, you know, 
not you know not that this is the way that Russell and Williams would want to po- wanted a podium as well on the day. Um, it's deserving definitely for for the qualifying performances and the performance he's put in all year. Um, but Williams have had this incredible boost now in the constructors championship where they're on twenty points. Latifi again scored a point as a result of you know no overtaking at all and and grid penalties for guys ahead. Um, and that's made it really difficult now for Alfa Romeo to potentially catch them before the end of the season. They've got 17 points, I think, to overhaul before um, the end of the year. So that's where, you know, these instances just kind of make things askew. Um, you know, Lando Norris as well, you know, was denied an opportunity to in the race to better his result. You know, although Daniel Ricciardo, on the other hand, who qualified fourth, um, ended up picking up his best result of the season, albeit having done no racing as well. Um, you know, the gap in the championship has closed to three points between Hamilton and Verstappen, and then with Red Bull or Mercedes and Red Bull in the constructors, it's seven points, despite Perez not having any points on the day. So, yeah, it's just, I guess it was just a disappointing day all round for, for F1. You know, it's it's one of those things that, you know, is unavoidable. It's going to happen from time to time, no matter what sport it is, that, you know, they just they just don't know what to do. Nobody's perfect, but we have this impression of all rulemakers and, and regulators that they, they have to be, you know, because that's what they, they're there for kind of thing. So, and I don't mean to, you know, be siding with the FIA or with Michael Massey or whatnot, but I do feel that a lot of the criticism has been unfair some of it has been fair and just, and, you know, they've already come out and said that we're going to work towards uh, rectifying this for the future, and we just got to hope that fans are properly compensated for that, and um, we never have this sort of situation again. So, yeah, other than that, um, other highlights as far as results are concerned, you know, you wouldn't consider them highlights, but, you know, as I said, Ricardo had his best uh, result in terms of... Um, the season. <laughs> he did look a lot better though this weekend, you know, you gotta say he had um quite a quite a good weekend qualified up there, you know, even though Lando possibly would have been on pole is is what's been said. But, you know, he had a much improved weekend. He had points there for Vettel as well in fifth, Ocon again seventh, Latifi, as I said, ninth, and you know, Ferrari scoring, you know, couple of points, half a point there for, for Carlito, for Sainz, so, you know, nothing much to write home about, so I guess we've just got to try and forget that this weekend happened and move it on, I I, I can't offer much more than that, you know, it's, 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 it's been hectic, and you know, it was funny, um, by the time we got to the possibility of a restart, it was, you know, 2, 2 a.m. or 2.30 a.m., and I'm like, um, I'm over this. I need to reach for the top shelf, get get a bit of get a bit of scotch out, and you know try and see what what we salvage from it. It was, yeah, very non-eventful in that instance. But you know, hopefully it doesn't happen again. So, moving it on, then we've got 22 races now um, confirmed for the season. So this is off the back of the Japanese Grand Prix being officially canned. Um, Brazil, Mexico, still kind of in doubt. Uh, you've got the Qatar Grand Prix, or you've got a TBC slot before the the Saudi Grand Prix um, 
in December, and that's likely going to be filled by Qatar. There was talks about Turkey as well, possibly still being under threat, given that it's on the uh, the red list for the red list of, from the UK for their travel restrictions as well. And you know, there was somewhere I saw <laughs> um, that Magello could possibly be a, a, a replacement for that. So that'll be interesting because I love Magello, obviously, but I also love Istanbul Park. You know, it just depends on what you know they can do and how they can navigate because so far you've got to say that you know f1 has only traveled between europe and the middle east since since 2019 basically so when they do get around to going to north america it'll be the first time that they've gone left those two continents um basically so it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds um a lot of silly season news as well of course you know it's it's that time of year where it all ramps up and, you know, Mercedes have come out and said that, you know, they've made a decision on their 2022 lineup, but they are not yet going to reveal what that is. It's it's pretty much a given that Russell's going to get the seat and, you know, good on him. You know, he's, he's deserved it. Um, it's going to be exciting to finally see, you know, all four of the big teams, you know, your Red Bull, Ferrari, McLaren, Mercedes all have this you know, next generation of driver in the car, you know, so Mercedes was kind of the odd one out, and you would have criticised them no end, you know, for their young driver program, and what the purpose is of that, you know, if they can't promote from within, I mean, now people are kind of uh, teaming up on Alpine for the fact that, you know, if Oscar Piastri, for example, wins F2 this season, there's no direct place in F1 for him to go to because, you know, Alpine have got Fernando Alonso and Ocon in the car for, for next year, and that's no fault of theirs, you know, Alonso's done a good job this season, you know, it's not his title-winning glory days, but he's still doing a, a pretty good job, um, Ocon is in the team for the long term, so it's probably not going to be until Alonso decides to retire, which could be next year, because we know he's, he's confirmed for next year as well, got a contract extension, so who knows until then the other seats as well looks likely that they're going to be filled as a result of uh the russell confirmation at mercedes so what the what the goss <laughs> the goss um what it sounds like at the moment is that you know that replacement seat for russell at williams has been fought over by mercedes and by red bull and red bull in this instance of one with um alex albon potentially coming back and filling that seat alongside uh, Nicholas Latifi there, which means um, Mercedes want to take their potential driver, which is Nick DeVries in this instance, who, congratulations, Nick, by the way, on the uh, Formula E World Championship, the first ever world champion um, in Formula E, because it wasn't a world championship before, surprisingly. Um, And also the Netherlands' first world champion in, in, in any form of motorsport, so that's great, he beat Max Verstappen to that one, <laughs> um, so De Vries is likely to end up at Alfa Romeo at the behest of um, uh, Toto Wolff and Mercedes, so Alfa Romeo has potentially two seats available because Kimi Raikkonen has announced his retirement, I know, it's it, it's it's tough, it's tough. Uh, a lot of people say that they saw it coming and whatnot and give the usual shtick about how, oh, you know, Kimmy's over it, he's been over it for, for a yonks or whatever, but Kimmy is Kimmy. 
if you don't love Kimi, then I don't know. There might be a problem with you. Um, Kimi's this person, you know, not that I know Kimi <laughs> at all. Um, Kimi's this, you know, enigma that, you know, he's got this cult following about him. And especially, you know, when before F1 really embraced social media, like you would go on to social media and people would be doing, you know, what whatever things were before memes or whatever about Kimi and turning all of his quotes into T-shirts and, you know, it it was exciting, you know, you had this, you had this character who just told you like it is and very old school F1 style or whatever. Um, statistically, he might not be the greatest, you know, when you compare him to Vettel and Hamilton and, uh, and Alonso, Schumacher and all that, but he's still a world champion. He won the world championship in 07. He's won a handful of races uh, as well, 2021, I think, um, races he's won now. He's just great. He's a legend, and we're going to miss him next year, even though it's hard to sometimes remember that he's even on the grid, you know, having been racing at the back there with Alfa Romeo for the last three years. So, yeah, definitely going to miss him. Um, so that frees up a seat there. Uh, by all accounts, Giovinazzi probably will be out of a drive as well, which would be a bit disappointing. So we'll see who ends up um, in that second seat. You know, there's talks of... Calamilo, um, Theo Porcher, just just heaps of names, you know, and it's so good to see that most of the F1 grid now are all F2 graduates, which says that F2 is doing something right too, so, you know, I, I know a few people feel disturbed by the fact that it is all, you know, youngsters now, but that's, that's the future, that's what we've got to look forward to, and also when I said that, you know, it's nice to see Russell finally make it to Mercedes, well, you've got Leclerc at Ferrari, Verstappen at Red Bull, Lando there at McLaren, so why not have have someone at Mercedes who can bolster them forward? All right, Dutch Grand Prix, exciting. We missed it last year, of course. First time since 1985 we've got a Grand Prix at Zandvoort. Um, the fast, epic, high bank corners, I think, is just going to look so cool with, with the modern F1 cars on there, I mean, I've only seen it uh, in video game form on the F1 game, and um, uh, Seto Corsa Competizione, um, it is very difficult as well, I've got to say, but, you know, I'm, I'm pretty hand-fisted when it comes to racing games, <laughs> I, I'm not saying I'm a pro by any stretch, but I do get rather miffed when I'm doing, you know, uh, uh, time trials or, you know, uh, fastest laps and whatnot, and I'll put a put a wheel in the gravel or just go off by like a millimeter um, off the racing or off the the track limits and lose my lap. You know, you could ask my partner about how frustrated I get with that. Um, she will say, yeah, he's a bit obsessed with that sort of thing. But anyway, it looks fast. It looks epic. I can't wait. I'm sure a lot of people couldn't wait. I'm sure the um, legion of Dutch fans can't wait either. Uh, second home race for Verstappen, obviously back-to-back with, with Belgium. And we'd like to see them race, obviously, this time. You know, we, we missed out in, in Belgium with a race. But a lot of people saying that this might suit Mercedes, the track. So that's going to be interesting to come see uh, first practice and, and second practice on Friday, how that goes. Um, one thing I, you know, couldn't talk about during Belgian Grand Prix and whatnot was a power unit componentry and whatnot because Red Bull and Ferrari both 
there, all, all four drivers of those teams are onto their final uh, third and final power units as well. Are they going to be able to, are they going to have to take grid penalties soon? You'd think that a circuit like Monza with, uh, you know, where overtaking is very possible that they they could, probably not Ferrari because, you know, they want to be at the front of the grid, yada, yada, because it's Monza. Um, but for Red Bull, you know, how is that going to hurt them in the championship? Because, you know, Mercedes have been quite reliable. That's something that's, you know, been a hallmark of theirs and, while they might not be the fastest car at the moment in comparison to Red Bull, if they are the more reliable, then yeah, you know, that's what's going to get your results at the end of the day. So there you go. That's going to be a big question this weekend. But I don't know. It's one of those weekends where you can't really predict anything yet because we haven't seen them race there. So why not just wait and see what happens? And uh, yeah, we'll check back in next week about it. Other than that... um, wrap it up with, with, with a bit of Hit the Globe and look at what's going on around the world. I already said congratulations to DeVries and Mercedes for their Formula E ch- championship win. Sad, though, that Mercedes have decided to quit uh, to focus more on F1 and, you know, other projects. Le Mans, number seven Toyota crew, broke their hoodoo as well to get the first hypercar era win, so congratulations to them as well. Um... MotoGP, after the British Grand Prix on the weekend, Fabio Quattararo, 65 points clear of Joan Mia in the championship, so looking very difficult now to, to beat Quattararo, while we've got news as well about, you know, what's going on with Vinales, so yeah, he's been obviously confirmed by Aprilia, but he's actually going to be able to ride that bike from uh, the next round at Aragon, um, alongside Alicia Spargaro, who did managed to pick up Aprilia's first podium, so congratulations to them there at Silverstone for doing that, you know, I've, I've been a bit of a critic of both the Spargo brothers, because I feel like they haven't achieved um, <laughs> what what is expected, kind of, of them, you know, and especially with Aprilia, the only of the new manufacturers in MotoGP to have not won a race yet, too, hopefully with Vinales there, it'll um, get a bit better if not then Vinales will try and destroy a uh, one of their engines and uh, storm off but for Yamaha they get as soon as they get Franco Morbidelli back which should be from Mizano which is in a couple of rounds time he'll go straight to the factory team whilst uh, the Sepang racing team who again will no longer be on the grid next year so we're going to find out soon who hopefully will replace uh them with those satellite Yamaha bikes, but uh, Andre De Vizioso will make a comeback and he'll jump onto Franco's old bike there at the Patronus team. So, no like fa- fairy tale, you know, come back to the factory team for, for Valentina Rossi, of course. They're very much focusing on their future and trying to help secure Quattararo, the World Championship, and then also the Manufacturers Championship as well and the Teams Championship in that. So, Good on them. Supercars, not much going on in supercars land at the moment, unfortunately. It's still very dependent on, you know, when restrictions and and borders and stuff like that kind of ease here on the east coast of Australia. New South Wales, you know, they're recording over 1,200 cases a day, which I know, you know, my European friends will probably mock me and, and American friends will mock me and say you know, you guys are in lockdown for, for that, you know, we were having that many fatalities or something like that, um, daily or on a whatever basis, and, you know, no disrespect, I know that, <laughs> and it's not me who's making the rules here, it's, it's you know, our politicians and whatnot, and, you know, we're 
in Victoria, you know, we, we went into lockdown for, for eight cases or whatever. So, you know, it shows you how harsh they are and whatnot. And, you know, the the new goal is to, to get to a certain number of vaccinations or whatever before they can start, you know, reopening everything and getting back to, to normal. But what it means for supercars who've mandated that, oh, you know, uh, vaccinations are not going to be mandatory for, for all involved. Um, they're looking at a possible December Bathurst 1000 finale to the season, you know, to happen after the Gold Coast uh, race. You know, they if they could, it would be great to do some races behind closed doors. But then again, that all depends on, um, you know, mass gatherings there or outdoor gatherings or whatever, or sports being able to run, which currently, even in Victoria, you're not allowed to do. So... You know, we just have to sit and wait for that one. Watch the watch the E series that they're doing. I'm sure that's it's great. I did like it last year, but you know, this year just yeah, haven't had the time and have other have had other things to do instead. So um, been doing that. Um, and then also great to hear that Brock Feeney's been confirmed as Jamie Wincup's replacement there at Triple Eight for next year. So glad to see them hand the reins to a young driver, you know, we want to see the the next generation there in supercars as well start to emerge, and it starts, you know, for, for Red Bull and for Triple Eight, it starts with Feeney, so that's really exciting, so yeah, that's that's about it, you know, not much else to report, uh, hopefully we have an exciting race in uh, the Netherlands this weekend at Zandvoort, then we'll be back next week, um, or I'll be back next week to uh, talk all about that and preview the race at Monza, which will have um, the next sprint event as well, which will be exciting. So thanks for tuning in, guys. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Send some feedback over at, at the Twitter page at Hit the Apex Media. I haven't even looked at that for, for the last month, so there you go. That's pretty bad. Anyway. It is what it is. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.